the house that we live in now came on the market and it was one of those houses where you look at the pictures and you're like, I really want to see this. And so we came and we looked and we didn't even know if it was possible yet for us to leave the duplex. We just really liked this house. So that was a Sunday. So the very next day, Michael was on the phone with our lender trying to figure out, you know, if we could even financially make it work at this time to be able to move out of the duplex. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie, and today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we are looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show, if you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link, and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it, and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today, we have Michael and Melissa, a couple who uh, went from kind of living the traditional suburb life to going into a uh, multi-unit house hacking, and, and I'm thrilled you guys are here to share your story. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're pretty excited. So let's jump in, Melissa, and, and kind of go from your perspective first. I mean, living the traditional suburb life, uh, probably a lot of your friends, if they're anything like like our friends are, uh, that was the American dream. Um, potentially going to you know a a uh, a nice house in a in a in a nice neighborhood and build a family and do the traditional thirty years with your job and retire like most Americans do. Let's talk a little bit about you know kind of the mindset from your perspective of of deciding. Oh, hey, maybe a duplex actually makes sense. Obviously, Michael's a numbers guy. I'm sure he sold you heavily on the numbers, but like from your perspective on emotional side and, and figuring out that it actually made sense and, and uh, why, why you chose to do that. Yeah, I think it was a, a hard leap to make. Um, it feels less safe than, you know, what you see everyone else doing. Um, so it was challenging. We spent a lot of time thinking about what it would look like for us running the different scenarios of how, it would work and what it would look like. And so not just like the numbers, but like what our life would actually be like um, in a in a different part of town, in a duplex versus the suburban single family we were living in. So we spent a lot of time, you know, driving around potential neighborhoods, not only during the day, but also at night, just to see what the neighborhoods would be like and making sure it'd be a place that not only our renters would feel comfortable living, but we would feel comfortable living there as well. Awesome. Awesome. So 
let's talk a little about uh, Michael from your perspective. Kind of um, what what neighborhoods that that intrigued you? I'm sure you looked at multiple different ones. What were kind of the parameters that you were looking for, uh, and why ultimately this house made the most sense for you? Um, yeah. So the parameters we were operating under first and foremost was if we were going to do it because of our timeline, um, we had to have it already rehabbed. So that already kind of took, um, a lot of your art off market and like, you know, fantastic deal situations off the table. We are really just dealing with the MLS. Um, and so that in itself somewhat dictated where we could be just based off of like where the multi-units were. Um, in our area of Columbus, Ohio, once you get outside of, we call it the outer belt, which is the highway that goes around the city, um, and into the suburbs, you tend to get more like shared wall condos that have been, um, I don't even know if they were originally duplexes or if they built them as condos, I'm not sure, but that's where most of the multi-units out there have been. So we really had to come into the, you know, downtown adjacent areas to find the property. So we... I think we went into it pretty open as far as areas. Um, we live mostly in the Northwest part of the city before. So um, I think any change was going to be a change. So it was just finding that building. And um, we ended up finding an area that we like to call is um, like hipster or cool adjacent, if you will, where it's, it's not quite the cool part of town, but like you can almost see it kind of a deal. So <laughs> um, we went there um, and it was a weird pocket, honestly. And I still think it's one of the best kept secrets in Columbus to tell you the truth. It's called South of Maine. And it is this weird strip that is bordered all around it by affluence in really nice downtown areas, including Bexley, which is where the governor's mansion is to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then on the South side of the highway. And so there's like nothing below it. And so it's this really weird pocket where there's affluence all around it. And it's just like creeping in. So we ended up liking that from a strategic long-term standpoint. And then just from a, it was already, I don't, I don't want to say it was already up and coming two years ago, but it definitely is now. Like, I think we ended up catching the wave at a pretty good point in that area. So let's walk through that deal then. Um, you, yeah. you, you find it. Uh, how did you, what, what uh, loan product did you choose? Why did you choose that? Um, and then kind of getting to close and, and, uh, maybe after that kind of how your tenant search went marketing for the property, getting the property ready, things of that nature. I don't even know where, I don't even know how we started. I guess it just popped up on MLS and we went to see it and we liked it. And, um, while we were standing in the house, in the unit, we really liked it. It was totally redone, like gutted to the studs. He did a really, really nice job with it. Like it was super high end. We were like, okay, this is like, if we're going to do this, this is a nice place to start for sure. Um, and they, uh, well, the other biggest thing is we had to have at least one and a half bathrooms. Oh, yes, absolutely. It was one of my pieces of criteria <laughs> and it's very difficult to find a duplex that has more than just a one full bath. So this one had the one and a half bath and yeah. was done really nicely. Yeah. So that actually, I forgot about it. Yeah. The one and a half bath really narrowed our search. It's a selling piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The two toilets was a key component <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, but then from there, it was really just like talking to a lender and getting an idea of like what we could do. Um, the nice part about that area that we were looking in was, uh, or is currently a 10 year tax abatement on it, 
Um, so on, we ended up paying 318 grand for it. Um, and we pay about $900 a year in taxes on it because they're hundred percent abated on the improvements. So, wow. um, from a monthly cost standpoint, it made a lot more sense just seeing that most of our payment was actually going to be going towards like our interest in principal versus school district taxes and things like that out in the suburbs was a big part of it. Um, and so, yeah, we ended up finding the FHA product just because we didn't have the down payment money, even though we were selling um, our three bedroom in the burbs, we still at that point didn't have the 20% to put down. Um, so we went with the three and a half percent FHA basically out of necessity and it being a great product. We let's see, this was summer of 18, I think. Um, so we locked in at that point, if you guys remember, it was like three and a half ish, three and a quarter was about the rates we were getting. We ended up falling out of contract, if you will, with that lender. Um, they had an underwriter who picked some really weird nitpicky things in the house, even though it had been fully redone. There, without getting too crazy into it, there was basically that area of the city was zoned or had been changed zoning so that no new multifamily could be built. So for whatever reason in the FHA underwriting, they found that in the case of a complete loss and totally burned down, that the city could not guarantee that we could rebuild it in the same way on the same place. Basically, the city said, we don't know what the laws are going to be in 30 years, but here's how you could do it now. And that wasn't good enough for the underwriter. So we ended up having to find a new lender with about 10 days to go. Or no, that was after our close. Or it was supposed to be after our close. And then we found a new lender and ended up having to move into her mom's house for about a month in order to get that closed. Um, but we ended up getting it done after a little bit of uh, some insanity and two different moves into a storage unit and uh, made it happen. Well, <laughs> You're really selling this lifestyle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so back to the uh, back to the financing and choosing yeah. to go with an FHA. Um, did you try to pursue like a three to five percent down payment um, conventional loan? And what kind of swayed you towards FHA if you did? At the time, it was kind of given to us as almost our only option unless we wanted the 20 percent down. I don't know for sure at the time if we would have qualified for some of those conventional programs that let you do multi-unit low down payments. Um I believe we made too much money between the two of us at the time that qualified to qualify for those anyway. So from our lender, we were just led down that FHA pathway. Um, I know there are, since then, I've learned of some different programs. I don't know off the top of my head, but that you can do conventional with uh, multifamily and whatnot, but was not given to us as an option at the time. Okay. So uh, so you touched on tax abatement uh, mm -hmm. back there, and, and we, have, we have not... Uh, really touched on that that much uh, for those that don't really understand it. And uh, you know, what, what was that like? And you said 10 years just to kind of give our listeners an idea of, of what that, what that is like. <laughs> uh, from my understanding, this may not be hundred percent correct, but I think the way the city of Columbus has determined, uh, you can actually go on their website and there are, I know the hot word now is like opportunity zones. Um, they're similar to that, but they've basically just categorized area of the cities. Um, with different tax breaks or tax abatements on property tax. So in the area, they call it the Near East Side, where we bought the duplex, they were offering um, tax abatements on the improvements. So what that means is we only pay property taxes on the original value of the duplex, which I think was like 35 or 40 grand, the guy who flipped it bought it for. Um, so we basically pay taxes on that evaluation, not on the improvements in the sale. So that's why our taxes are so low. Yeah. And within my area and, and Drew's as well, which we're on 
completely different parts of of our state, but there are there are quite a few opportunity zones, and throughout the country there are a lot of opportunity zones. So getting plugged in with uh, you know with with whether it's brokers or or whatever uh, they can show you into opportunity zones. I mean, there's there's obviously as the uh, you know there's a lot of opportunity within that, um, yeah. and save a lot of money and and uh, yeah. The t- the tax difference was stark between our Dublin yeah. property and the like thousands of dollars a year. I bet. I yeah, bet. and that's thousands of dollars of savings, you know, for exactly. you guys. And then, and then within the monthly payment, I mean, that's you know a, a minimum of of you know two or three hundred dollars probably uh, in savings, which is ultimately contributing to whether you're living free or or whatever that looks like. Uh, so let's go into that. Like, what what did the numbers look like once you uh, moved in your tenant on the other side? Yeah, so I guess I should say our starting point of kind of what we were used to was about thirteen hundred dollars all in for our single family. So that's Again, we did a low down payment. We did 5% down on that place. So, um, you know, we had PMI and everything that we were kind of used to in the FHA we were familiar with. So it wasn't that big of a leap. So our first mortgage, um, oh, this was actually the point of telling you about it falling through in the first part, was because we had to restart the lending cycle. Our interest actually went up over a point and a half to like five and a quarter. Um, if you remember, there was like a weird too much stand there where interest rates went up before they came back down. So we caught that in the perfect spot to uh, purchase a home. So yeah. uh, we ended up getting like a 5% rate on that. So um, we ended up with a $2,100 in change, monthly payment on the duplex, all in taxes, everything like that. Um, I was pretty confident I could rent the one side for 1400 for a one-year lease. Um, Melissa thought I was crazy, <laughs> but we tried it at 1400, just like put it on Zillow. Um, and we had a couple hits and the couple we ended up renting to, um, they didn't want to do the 1400, but they were interested in a long-term lease. So I actually dropped it to 1250 for a two year lease. Um, and they ended up being fantastic tenants. Um, they were great first tenants. So it ended up our share being roughly 650, 700, whatever that math works out to for the first year. Um, and then FHA offers a, I think they call it a streamline refinance, which is without any additional like credit looking into you or proof of income, they basically just swap out your interest rates. So we were able to drop that price just with an interest rate swap down to about 1900 a month where it is now. Um, so we knocked about 200 bucks off in interest after the first year. Yeah, to, to us, it was more valuable to have our first tenant sign a two-year lease yeah. Um, then that 150 bucks a month, just so that we knew we had a tenant, they were locked in for two years and, you know, kind of our first go at it. We mm-hmm. had, we had someone who was going to be there long-term. Yeah. And it probably reiterated proof of concept. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was, it was a intimidating step, of course, to buy a duplex to begin with. Uh, but then Melissa, from your standpoint, you didn't know, you know, if somebody would actually rent for, for that much. Uh, but now you got somebody in there for two years, uh, much longer than you guys probably anticipated, um, to rocking, locking in a rate, cutting your, your living expense by at least 50%. You know, if it was 1300 and you're only paying six, you know, that's 50% plus all the additional costs of home ownership, uh, beyond the mortgage. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you guys were already saving quite a bit of money. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what I would encourage anybody looking at this to do is don't, you know, real estate seems to be such like a, you know, we're all very competitive. I think people by nature, and there's always this like, Hey, I'm going to compare deals and get a better return and be a better investor than you. But especially with your first house hack, like 
if it makes sense for you on a personal level, do it. Like it doesn't have to be some crazy cash flowing 20% ROI thing. If it gets you to a point where you have a lower cost of living and you can save and get rid of some student loan debt or whatever, like it's a good move. So um, don't get, don't get too caught up in all those, uh, you know, tit for tat or whatever you want to call them. Well, and I think for me too, it was hard because it felt like a lot of people were putting their stress on us about Uh, like how successful this could possibly be. And it's like both of our parents were very skeptical of, you know, how successful you could be at renting a property. I felt like we got questions every, every day about whether or not we had renters and now that we're going through the renting process again, we get questions every day again about whether or not our house is going to rent. So let, let's, uh, it sounds to me like there was, you know, we talked a little about your story leading up to it, uh, the mindset shift of actually buying a duplex and then kind of getting this lease out and stuff. But it sounds like there might have been an overarching kind of reason behind uh, the transition for both of you, maybe a long term like lifestyle uh, change or maybe, maybe financial independence. Like, let's talk a little bit about like uh, even before deciding on a duplex, what what you guys were actually chasing in making this dramatic for most people. Uh, and of course, it sounds like both of your parents felt like it was a little bit dramatic too. And I understand that, you know, cause there's a uh, kind of a funnel towards single family uh, ownership in this country. Like what was the overarching reason behind uh, making this dramatic change? I guess being an engineer, I like the slow, the steady kind of change over time. So the long, the long-term like tax benefits and game of buy and hold real estate once I started to learn about it, really, um, like really did it for me. It was, it was, I understood it. I could do it. Um, it made sense. The risk in my mind was low, especially for our market. Um, I, I feel like we found ourselves in the burbs, you know, with decent amount of credit card debt, student loan debt, um, you know, living in a nice area. We had our friends. It was, also picked out mostly for location to our jobs at the time. And I think it was, I don't think it was any one thing for me. It was just this, you know, I guess noticing that we were kind of almost in this rat race and in this wheel, like people talk about nothing was changing. And we, you know, we were in that house for two years and our bank accounts didn't change much. Like, honestly, we were almost kind not quite like month to month, but in a way, almost like we weren't saving anything substantially to make huge moves or anything. And it was like um, the market in the area, our realtor just came to us and said, like, would you guys sell your house if you can make a bunch of money? And we hadn't really thought about it. And she sold it for way more than we thought it was. And it was just a really it was a good way to take the cash that we got from the sale of our house and put it to work for us rather than just go spend it again. It was, it was, I think it was definitely the first step in a longer term goal of what everybody does it for, like the time freedom and spending time with each other and, you know, not having to, well, at the time, not having to drive to the office, nobody has to do that anymore. But the impetus really was that, you know, what if, mm-hmm. uh, if we sold our house in the suburbs, um, it wasn't something we had been considering, but then we saw the dollar signs and kind of like what Michael said, we'd done everything to that point we were told we should do. You know, we spent all this money on our wedding and we had student loan debt from going to college, all these things that we should do that cost a lot of money and just kind of found ourselves floating by. This kind of felt like the first time we were able to choose a path that make a lot made a lot of sense for us. And, you know, selling that house in Dublin, even though we loved it, 
it, it just made a lot of sense for being able to set ourselves up for success. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something I had never really, um, been told, you know, growing up and in, in, in the same kind of atmosphere that you guys, you know, it sounds like you guys did as well. was just like the concept of lifestyle creep, like doing everything you're supposed to do, uh, going to college, getting a good job. I mean, you're an engineer, uh, Melissa, you're a P, you know, in PR, uh, you know, sounds like high income earners making, you know, just the, you know, the above average lifestyle, middle, above middle class a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, still finding yourself paycheck to paycheck was a concept that I had never really considered before the amount of high income earners that also fall in that category, because there's just a lot of, uh, unknowns variables that we, that we don't consider, you know, that they're just like a part of lifestyle within that community. Um, you know, and so that, that's kind of a, a point I wanted to, uh, you know, point to for our audience, because I think that was something that I had completely missed. Uh, growing up and, and being told the same things. That's something they don't tell you. Like, you know, I, I was an intern once making like not a lot of money. And it turns out I was just as broke as the guy who's making three, four times as much as I am because of what Brad's talking about, the lifestyle creep, because they got a bigger house and they got a promotion. They got a nicer car when they got a promotion. And then there's nothing left over at the end of the day. Yeah. At the, t- at the time, it really felt like we were just skating by and, mm-hmm. you know, doing everything we were supposed to be doing. And it never felt like we were ever going to be able to save money. Um, and I, I don't think I would have ever pictured where we are now and being able to save enough money to buy another property that at this point we own two homes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so let's touch uh, a little bit back, Melissa, of kind of, you know, what you would uh, like to relay to couples in your situation. We have, we have quite a few uh, couples, you know, reach out to us and say, you know, man, we would like to, but you know, there's a list of objections and they're all, they all have merit. They all have reason behind it. You, you two both touched on the fact that one and a half bath was kind of a necessity. And that is, that is totally understanding. Uh, Drew's about to get married. I'm married. I mean, I'm, I'm, I totally understand why that would be uh, a concern. Just kind of speak to people out there that are listening that are maybe uh, in that situation, couples considering it, maybe they are also month, you know, living kind of paycheck to paycheck. And they're kind of like, man, I mean, I see where this kind of you know, leads to maybe they're looking up to their boss and they're like, man, I don't really want to imitate that life. Uh, but also at the same time, I don't really know if I want to quote unquote downgrade and live like a, a renter again, but there's a way around that. And, you know, my wife and I, I mean, we live, uh, somewhat similarly. It sounds like, you know, it's, it, we're, we live in a side-by-side duplex now, but it doesn't feel necessarily like, you know, like we're tenants in a large, uh, you know, like we used to be renters. So just kind of talk to people that are considering, making that transition? I think Michael was really the driver of moving us forward in this decision-making process. Um, And I was definitely along for the ride. He did a great job of listening to my concerns and thinking through ways to address them, kind of like how we talked about driving around the neighborhood at night, making sure that the house had at least our bare minimum qualifications. Um, I think we've also learned that if it feels scary, it's a good leap to make. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that. They, they stand on the edge and they see the horizon, but they're scared to make the jump. And in our experience, making the jump has been worth it and it's been scary. And we've had people telling us that it's not possible or they're nervous for the decisions we're making, but every leap we've made has been worth it and successful. And 
my advice would be just to make the leap, even if it feels scary. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, there really are. That's why I wanted to kind of touch on that from your perspective, both of your perspective. It's because there are so many people kind of, you know, like right there uh, wanting to do it. But it is a scary leap. And and probably the most challenging part, uh, which you guys alluded to a little bit earlier, was the fact that both of your parents kind of started, you know, which is which is natural. They want the best for both of you, I'm, I'm certain. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of parents out there that, you know, probably weren't accustomed to this. And, uh, you know, the cost of living has dramatically risen since they were in both of your situation. Um, and, and so it, it is, you do have people that love you that kind of also, uh, you know, magnify those worries that you already have, which, which, you know, again, helps grow the limiting beliefs. Yeah. Michael's parents still live in his childhood home. They bought 30 some years yeah. ago. Yeah. We have, we have purchased 300% more homes than they have purchased. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a lot of it, it definitely, a lot of it, there was a lot of outside influence. Um, a big moment for me was it was, you know, I can do the math. I can run the scenarios. I can run worst case scenarios. I can do all those things. Um, but it was kind of like when I finally got to the point of showing it to her and she was like, yeah, okay, let's do this. It was like, Oh, Oh, we're doing okay. Like so <laughs> you're the person drive, like you need to be ready and okay when they say go and to make the move because that's that's when it's happening and that's when you go and it was it's i think that's a good as a couple and like a team having someone as almost that box that backstop or like that check fail save of like you know this is a terrible idea your numbers make like if you can't explain this to me this is a bad idea kind of a thing so i think having that member of the team who can kind of weed weed through all the uh nonsense and figure out if it's a good idea or not is definitely valuable. So let's talk about buying that second place. Cause that is a, that's another big, uh, kind of barrier that you got to break through. And, and it sounds like with your story, you know, it just, it, it's, it's taking a step here and then taking another step here and taking a blind faith step here, you know? And, uh, so talk about buying that second one, leaving the place behind. We often get the question of, can you leave an FHA and continue to hold it? And it sounds like, uh, of course, you know, it, you can. And, and so talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then kind of the mindset of now you got to consider, uh, you know, multiple furnaces, multiple, you know, this owning a couple of properties. I know my wife and I went through that step and it was, it was intimidating because when I was flipping, it was, it was one house at a time. And then I bought, you know, the, the multifamily and then buying the next places. It's now you got to consider more things, you know, and, and there are always things that go wrong with real estate, but those are just things you kind of factor in. So, so talk a little bit about that. When we bought the duplex, the plan was always to move out. So that way mm -hmm. we could rent both sides. Um, we knew we had to wait two years to, to be able to leave the duplex. So we were coming up on the two year point and we both like real estate. So we're always casually perusing the market mm -hmm. and watching as things are happening. And the house that we live in now came on the market and it was one of those houses where you look at the pictures and you're like, I really want to see this. And so we came and we looked and we didn't even know if it was possible yet for us to leave the duplex. We just really liked this house. So that was a Sunday. So the very next day, Michael was on the phone with our lender trying to figure out, you know, if we could even financially make it work at this time to be able to move out of the duplex. Yeah. Yeah, so we saw it. We saw it on Sunday. We actually saw it at an open house after we went to see another house in the same area that needed a total gut job. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we were in and out of that house pretty quick. It was a super weird house. It would have, it would have been a nightmare to rehab. Um, they had random side thing. They had a finished garage that turned into like a movie room. It was very strange. It was definitely not zoned correctly either. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we came to this open house on a Sunday and we, uh, I called the lender like Monday, 9am. Um, and got our pre-approval, which was a whole thing um, because of our income situation at the time. And we got our offer in at like 3.30 in the afternoon and we were in contract at 10.30 that night for this place. So it was about a 40, less than a 48 hour uh, turnaround of seeing it to the contract. So <laughs> it was a little nuts. The biggest so thing with moving out of the duplex into the single family, kind of going back to what you were saying, um, it's weird not being on the property anymore. Um, it felt a lot easier to manage the duplex when we were physically there all the time. Uh, we were living there. We could see what was going on in the neighborhood. So for me, the biggest shift between living in the duplex and then managing the duplex has been not physically being on site to see what's going on or what needs to happen anymore. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, of course, now you have two tenants. Uh, talk about placing those tenants and, and then your concerns about kind of managing and how you guys uh, go about some of that. Yeah. So I, um, I just, I mostly use Zillow to do all of our like advertising and I use their like payment portal and everything. It's super friendly. It used to be free. It's like $10 a week now or something to advertise on. Um, and then I think used rentals. So just basic kind of advertising for when we were moving out. Um, there was about a day when we were in this situation, once we were in contract, where it looked like we might have had to get a tenant in there and at least signed prior to us being approved. Um, but they figured out a way around that. So luckily we didn't, we could move out and then kind of figure out the tenant situation later. Um, and that's exactly what happened. We just, um, as we were moving out, you know, we did showings as much as we could. And um, we had a young gal interested and she signed a one-year lease and moved in in November. Um, and then our tenants who have been there for two years are leaving December 1st. Um, so it ended up kind of working out well advertising for timing because both leases, both properties or units rather, were going to be vacant at the same time or close to each other. So the, um, the turnover was a little bit more than I expected, even when we were living there and taking care of it, you know, you I guess living there, I was like, ah, there's not going to be much to do here. And then you all, you move out you're like, oh man, I got a lot of crap to do. So and it's like painting and holes in the walls and, um, you know, a bunch of stuff I probably should have fixed a year beforehand, but never did, you know, stuff like that. So, um, that was a little surprising, but I mean, the, the market in Columbus and where it is, I think we just ended up having to, you know, trust in the quality unit that we wanted. And, um, I think just having pretty standard like acceptance criteria, um, you know, we set up, um, if you apply and you have a 620 credit score, um, I think we do two and a half times gross, uh, income to rent ratios what we look for and like no criminal background. And basically if you meet all those, you get accepted and you get a lease in front of you. And then if you don't meet all those, um, I have a rule where I'll, I'll work with you and I'll see if you'd still qualify some other way or if we can get some additional documentation to that it makes sense. Um, and that's how we run it. I mean, it's, you just set up those systems and those barriers and you stick to them, not only because you have to legally, but just from a sense of it makes it so much easier on you mentally to not have to think about it so much. So 
Well, we found you know, uh, people are sick of the apartment lifestyle and they're looking for a house. I mean, a duplex isn't a single family home, but it's definitely a step up from that standard apartment box living. So it's a lot for us just trusting that we're going to find the right tenant who uh, likes the neighborhood and is sick of living in an apartment and is looking more of that house lifestyle. And so far, you know, we found great tenants that are a good fit for our property. And going back to like your screening process qualifications and all that, your tenant quality is a reflection of your tenant process of your uh, screening process. So you doing that due diligence is really important. You probably got some really good tenants in there um, because you're willing to go through those steps and make sure that they're properly qualified. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we actually, we advertise that we offer um, discounted rates now for longer term leases for two year and longer leases, because I didn't really know it at the time. I was just looking for a way to get tenants in there, but like multi-year leases from what I've read are like the key to long-term high quality tenants. Um, I think, I forget his name, but uh, whoever the guy is that runs like Memphis Invest, I think that's one of their things where their minimum lease is two years. Like you don't, you don't even get in one of their properties unless you're signing off for two years. So um, we haven't done that yet. Our current one, our current tenant is a one-year lease, but that was a, that was a big thing for us as almost like a gut check, if you will, of, mm-hmm. oh, this person wants to be here for two years. They're serious about it. Um, obviously, you still have to do your due diligence and make sure they can afford it for two years. But generally, those kind of people are going to be tenants that like take care of the place. They treat it like a home. And I mean, that's what we want. We want people to feel like they're at home and like feel like it is a home and not just some transitional area. So that's what we look for. I really like that because if you're offering a discount, that means you're going to have, you don't have to deal with turnover in a year. Um, so, you know, there might be a month of turnover or whatever. So that discount and that turnover ends up being a wash anyways, and it mm-hmm. probably ends up being less headache for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, we actually, um, when the gals who, um, were two year lease, our first tenants, when theirs was coming up, um, one of them was looking to buy a place and move out. And the, the one tenant, um, I actually offered her even a further discount because she was such a great tenant. I was like, look, I'll take another couple hundred dollar a month hit here. Like I know the quality of the tenant you are. I would much rather just lose a little money and have you stay here and I'll make it up on this, on my unit basically. Cause, um, that non-monetary or like non-quantifiable value of the tenant quality is huge. I think in this and being successful and, you know, I think there's a lot of people who on the forums and things who like brag about how good they are at what's the right word for kicking people out. Eviction. Eviction. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like they've done all of them and they have the best systems and I'm kind of of the mind frame of my goals and never have to do one. Like I hope to screen my tenants so well and do all the work up front that I never have to do an eviction. Like I know how to do them. I've researched it. I know what the laws are, but that's my goal to never have to do it. So we found that doing all of that ourselves, actually physically giving the tours to these prospects and, you know, reviewing their applications and calling their previous landlords ourselves has really been like, there's, there's not nothing that can replace that. Yeah, for sure. And there's definitely a human relationship aspect to that. And one of the reasons why Drew and I are, are big, big advocates for house hacking is uh, generally speaking, a lot of these, you know, two to four units, 
um, in most areas around the country and then around my area, you know, they get taken for granted by people that may be out of town investors, uh, and they're, you know, they, they get run down and, you know, it's more of a money extraction. Uh, but when people move into it and, and make it their home, they, they generally may, you know, improve the community. Uh, and like you said earlier, there is a lot of, there are a lot of people that, you know, come to me specifically, uh, from these bigger, uh, apartment buildings and say, you know, we left here because for instance, uh, I just had one recently where, you know, my child got sick cause there was mold running rampant and, you know, and, and just, you know, and then the community there and, and kind of the quality of life. And so they're looking for whether it's a home or a duplex or, you know, something like that somewhere where it's a little bit more of their personal space, a little bit more spread out. And, uh, you know, you get really good tenants when you take care of things. Absolutely. Well, and think about it. If you're house hacking and you're trying to find renters, you're literally searching for your neighbors. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, doing that search, finding good tenants, you're not just only finding good tenants, you're finding good neighbors. Absolutely. So, so let's touch back on uh, kind of the wealth building aspect of this now, because now you've gone back uh, to the to the single family. You guys are in a lot better uh, position personally uh, with your finances and stuff from where you were uh, two and a half, three years ago. Um, and, and so, so now, you know, the aspect of, of real estate that really is the long-term wealth play that you guys were looking for is the fact that it's almost, uh, like a retirement account and, and, you know, maybe in the micro, who knows what the value will do and, you know, maybe a two to five year range, but in a 30 year range, you know, you're going to get a sense of appreciation. It sounds like, you know, the entire neighborhood is, is cre uh, creeping into where you are building property value. Uh, you get you not only are you paying low uh, property taxes, but there are tax benefits to depreciating the property, and and you get you get cash flow to now pay for part of your mortgage on your primary residence, uh, you know, and just a lot of aspects to wealth going forward. Uh, touch on that and kind of uh, where you guys are headed personally with with finance, and it sounds like you know get, get that second home is really something you guys wanted, and and just the aspect of personal finance and where you headed. Yeah, um, I mean, a big aspect of the second home was our current situation with COVID and that both of our jobs got put remote for the, for the future. Basically, we don't really see a time going back to the office. So um, there was a bit of necessity there of, you know, this duplex really isn't cutting it for us anymore in our lifestyle. Um, and so the long-term goal, maybe not longest, but longer term goal is to keep playing the buy and hold game. Um, I, really like the strategy, I forget what it's called, where you basically take the cash flow or the profit from your one property and apply it to your other property and basically let your properties pay each other down. I mm -hmm. think that the most common sense, awesome plan for paying off your properties ever. I think it's great. So that's, I think our goal is to get more and have them pay each other off. Um, the short term kind of little base hits we're looking to do um, is probably in the next year, get an appraisal on the duplex to see where it's at. Um, to see if we have enough equity in it to do the 80%, um, you know, LTV for a conventional mortgage just to get out of the PMI because that is about $200 a month. Um, so any little base hits like that on financing, we're going to continue to take obviously so that we can keep more of that money. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm honest, I don't know. The area that we're in right now with this second home was also very strategic where there's a huge... Um, new campus for a company called cover my meds going in um maybe a 10 minute walk from here 20 yeah. minute walk from here um so we're not in the precise area of that town that we wanted to be but we're still in that general area um and so we think 
right now we like this place and we're probably going to stay for a while, but there's definitely going to be some more opportunity in specifically in this area. And we think being on the ground and being able to see that and see the neighborhood and, um, make those moves is what we're probably going to do on this side of town for, for sure in the future. Yeah, for sure. And there, you know, something we like to point out is there are a lot of, it's not like a one size fit all approach to sort of, uh, attempting to house hack, um, because it, it sounds like this property, whether it, whether you're looking to, you know, fix it up and sell, you know, I'm not sure what route you're looking to go with, or if you want to rent it after you move out, like the single family, but there are ways to strategically maneuver in real estate, uh, long-term that, that fit a certain level of lifestyle. Um, and you know, you were able to, to get out of the first house and, and, you know, sounds like make a little bit of money more than you anticipated, go to house hacking to save a lot of money to then get back to maybe, uh, you know, you're, you're in a strategic area, uh, and long-term this house has a purpose for you. Um, and I really like that approach because a lot of times people like to think, you know, everything is, is, you know, uh, just A to B and there, there are a lot of opportunities in personal finance and real estate to be, you know, A to B to C, um, you know, to kind of, to, to kind of take multiple steps to the ultimate goal. Yeah. I mean, one thing we were actually just talking about is we, um, there's no garage at this house. So we would love to build a, there's a ton of room for it to build like a two or three car garage and put a carriage house over it and have a rental yeah. unit there. So I think we're always probably going to be doing house hacking in some sense of the word. Um, you know, there's enough, there's enough in this area, um, like decently priced available real estate, both in the multifamily and in the single family. Like it's really, it'd be stupid not to honestly take advantage of it. Like, you know, we bought a duplex that for 300 grand, that was totally redone. I mean, on the coast, that's unheard of. So mm -hmm. a lot of it is localized to where you are and what you can do, but yeah, those owner occupied loans and, and just some general house hacking have been super powerful for us to just, um, take a little bit of that stress off of things and, you know, lower your cost of living and give you that peace of mind. It's been pretty sweet. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's, there's uh there's no dollar amount that can, that can, uh, you know, with the peace of mind aspect, you know, yeah. that's just a, that's just a priceless, uh, aspect of, of house hacking. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'd rather get, I'd rather get 300 bucks passive any day than work for three grand, you know? So yeah, <laughs> that long-term passive game too. Yeah. So, uh, so going forward, you talked about, um, you know, are you looking to to buy uh, like a, a traditional 20 percent down? Um, you talked about attempting to buy more properties, you know, whether it's two years, you know, two years, five years, whatever, or or move uh, into another one. What do you what are you guys kind of targeting? Um, right now, I think we're good living here. Um, I think it'll just depend. We're a big fan of having like a couple different scenarios or directions we could go and then yeah. just depending on what we can physically make happen in the moment, kind of chasing after that. So, um, you know, if this carriage build, carriage house build happens first, I think we'll do that. Um, we have a really close relationship with our realtor, which is Melissa's cousin. Um, and she's actually a, a local agent and killing it. She did like $10 million in volume this last year. So um, she's getting to a place where she's getting some cash she wants to invest and she knows she shouldn't invest in real estate, but probably just doesn't have the time to do it herself. So I could see us doing um, like some group family projects or something in the future. Um, so yeah, I think there, there's definitely some options and we'll see what, what is capable. I definitely see us doing a, a rehab at some point. I think we both, we like, we like the rehab. I don't think we would want to do it to move into um, just because that whole, 
like not having a place to live stress sounds horrible, but um, we got pretty handy. Like I'd like to get involved and do some of the work just to learn and um, learn the whole construction management process and everything would be, I think a fun project for me. I don't think we'll become flippers by any sense of it, but you know, if it, if the numbers make sense and it comes across and I think we'd be down for the challenge for sure. Yeah, it's, it's building that reputation. You know, we, we hear it all the time. You know, you just, you start off, you buy your first duplex or whatever it is, you get into the next property and you start to build a little bit of reputation, a little bit, of, a lot of confidence, which is a, a key element. And then whether it's a family, uh, w- w- like you guys have in a situation, or it's just building the network and people that realize that you're serious, uh, they see the track record behind you, and then you just build those relationships and you strategically, uh, whether it's partnering or raising money or things like that, there's a natural progression to it, to where uh, no matter what your next step is, you have options now, you have a little bit of a track record behind you, people realize, like for instance, uh, the you know the cousin, which I'm an agent myself, it, it's, uh, it's baffling that, that people sell as much real estate as they do and they don't own any. Uh, it always baffles my mind, but you know, I know quite a few of them that, that are constantly, uh, either talking to me about like, you know, partnering, whatever, and they'll sell 10 or 20 million and they've never actually owned a property. And there are a lot of people like that, that, that make the money. They would love to do it. They believe in real estate. They just don't have the time or whatever it is to get involved. And, and people like you who have the track record and the time and the know-how and the want to, uh, are able to kind of strategically partner and strategically, uh, get involved in situations like that. Yeah, that's that's something I think I've unintentionally been moving towards is, well, I don't want to say a syndication because that's like a whole deal, but being like, um, I think me personally and us together could be a real force as like a boots on the ground resource for like people on the coast who want to invest in the Midwest. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who have done it from California and have terrible experiences in this area just because they get taken advantage of and, you know, they get in with, contractors who have no business doing what they're doing and um they don't have that boots on the ground so i think with partnering and with living here and being on the ground and knowing the areas and you know we're not just living in the burbs and driving down here like we live here we know the blocks we know what street separates what where you need to be like where the crime is like we know that and we think and i guess i I could see us building something up around that to to scale the real estate side of things where you know maybe we don't save up a ton of capital and cash, we add value in a different way and use partnerships for sure. Yeah, it's really cool how you just started off house hacking on a whim and now look at the road it's taking you down. I mean, you're going to go down a very different financial future because of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, well, I think I said this before too, like um, when the hell did I get, did I leave Victoria's Secret? Was that two years ago now? I guess a year ago, July. Um, I lost my job. Um you know, big corporate company, like was supposed to be super secure. And just one day they walked me in and lost my job. So that whole experience would have been much different had we not been in a house hacking situation. So instead of immediately having to go out and find another job and panicking and, you know, I got to get it in in the next two weeks and make my next paycheck. We were in a situation where we had a cushion, one of cash and two, our cost of living was not very much. So we I didn't need to make that jump right away. And it allowed me to try and start a consulting company, which I'm still doing. And so that value of being able to like chase a crazy dream without a ton of money stress is was worth it in itself, honestly. Never mind the rest of the finances. Yeah. And I think something the wise figure out is the fact that life almost never goes the way that we anticipate it to go. Um, and you know, just having the ability to 
uh, have a little bit of a, uh, you know, I, I liken it to to having the mental clarity to make, uh, you know, the right approach. So, you know, somebody who is maybe up to their neck, like you guys were three years ago, losing their job, it would have been a very emotional reaction to take the very next job or very next thing that would pay your mortgage uh, on the, you know, on the traditional house you had in the burbs where, you know, having the house hack, I don't know exactly what your next step was, but it probably, you probably stepped back for a second, took yeah. a breath, said, what makes the most sense for me uh, emotionally, us together, uh, the way that we want to go. And it probably was a very different decision than had it happened three years previously. Yeah, it was definitely a decision from a, a mindset of what do we want to happen and what do we want this to look as, uh, look like rather than, oh shit, like we need this to happen. Like we need, you need to get a job, like make it happen kind of thing. So um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's been our mindset for real estate too, is we, we found that we don't really need to know what the plan looks like. We don't need to have, you know, the exact next steps lined up. It's just being open to options and possibilities as they, as they come. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the aspect that, you know, we probably is least appreciated, um, within, within the house hacking community, but we like to bring kind of light to it because life happens and it's very, you know, it's incredibly, no one could have predicted COVID-19 for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'm sure that this has been a lot easier to, to maneuver through, uh, you know, financially speaking, than than it would have been, uh, you know, there probably would have been a high level of anxiety, um, you know, going the more traditional route through things like this. Um, and so those are those are factors that aren't quantifiable, like you had mentioned e earlier, um, that, are, that that help out during times of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least for us in this area, um, there's so much opportunity, like I said, in like a, in a decent price point, and it's not crazy competitive yet. So even if by this area's standards, you end up buying like an expensive or like you overpay for something, um, like in 10 years, it's not going to matter around here. And if you're not going, if you're going into it with a long-term mindset, it allows you, we found to react well to any situations that come up rather than I got to be in and out of this property in a flip, you know, in like eight months. And that's my time limit. If anything goes wrong, it's terrible. You know, that's that's not where we wanted to put ourselves. So, um, like I said before, I think the long term aspect of it has played well, not only to our comfort level and our lifestyle, but like to our personalities. So, yeah, yeah, that's something that drew me uh, to the long term game as well. You know, you and I are a little bit different in the aspect of you being very analytical. And, you know, I, uh, my wife is more of the analytical one. I'm the bigger mindset thing. But, you know, I, flipping properties you know, you have a, you have a very small level of, of, uh, you know, things to go wrong. I mean, if, if the rehab goes 10 or 20% over or 10 or 20% longer, uh, and holding costs, I mean, there's just, the margins are very slim, especially right now. Um, and to where, you know, if you have more of a longer term approach, you know, I had a, I had a tree fall on my property on like the day after, uh, Christmas, something for some reason, Christmas always gets me. Um, but you know, like, Long term, long term, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. You, 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 you take uh, things with a grain of salt. You know, the good thing from a tax perspective, you write uh, these things off. And over time, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, and they're just they're just parts of being property owners, business owners. 
Uh, and long term, this stuff really, really works. Well, even moving out of the duplex, again, another scary step to go from one property to two. And we ran through all those worst case scenarios. And, you know, we're like, what if we don't get a second tenant and we can't afford to keep the duplex? What if like we ran through all these scenarios and we we figured out what we could do? I mean, maybe it wasn't ideal, but we had options so we could rent the property that we're living in now. I mean, it's a great single family. We love it. We sure someone else would love it. If we absolutely had to, we could rent this property. So we run through all the worst case scenarios. Yeah. And even though it might not be exactly what we want to do, we, we have outs. <laughs> yeah. Exit strategies for sure. Um, yeah. And, and it kind of forces you to, to stress test, you know, and it, at, at a small level to where, you know, it, it pushes you to save at a higher rate. Uh, it pushes you to think it, think things through at a higher level, um, you know, where you're taking on a second or a third mortgage, you know, you're like, you start to stress test. All right. You know, uh, if I have, you know, three or $4,000 a month in, in PITI between two mortgages, uh, you know, now I, now, now what is my worst case scenario? Like what, you know, and, and even though it isn't like a high, it doesn't have to be some high level stress test, you begin to think these things through and, and make, it forces you to save at a higher level be more mindful of, of every purchase and just overall, uh, you know, just through kind of osmosis of being in those process, force you to be kind of a long-term, uh, generally speaking, saver and, and, and wealth accumulator over time. Yeah. I think a lot of it for us was saying, okay, like what is the worst case scenario that could possibly happen? And for us, that was, we move, both units go vacant and then we have this mortgage too. And then we both lose our jobs. That was like our worst case scenario. And the solution for that was, well, if we need to get out, we could sell either one of these probably and get out for what we had into it. Or more likely, um, it would take us a while to find tenants for the duplex, but we could house hack this place. There's like four bedrooms. So we could rent out a bedroom in here. We've already been house hacking. So if your worst case is just continue to house hack somewhere else, it didn't make a lot of sense for us not to do it. So Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we, we, we ask every guest um, sort of, uh, as far as uh, maybe a book or a podcast um, that contributed from a business standpoint, a mindset, or even like the lifestyle aspect that we that we talked about, like, is there any contributing uh, book or podcast that really helped you guys uh, down this path? Raising Private Capital by Matt Faircloth. That book for me, when we were talking about scaling and like the whole world of finance has always been very cumbersome to me. And it's always been very challenging to learn that and reading that book and just kind of how he plainly lays out how to deal with investors as um, like customers and adding value from that aspect, it really spoke to me and made it seem like not such a big deal to go looking and, and to use private money. So um, as far as like our future and scaling and maybe getting into that, that was a pretty groundbreaking book on a personal level just to, kind of mentally get my head around what that process is like. Um, but then from a business side of things, a book I read this past spring, The Pumpkin Plan by Mike, Mike Michalowicz, I think his last name is, um, was awesome. It was It's all about um, choosing your giant pumpkin in your business and how to like pick a niche and really go after something. And um, I think that's very important even just in like what we do with real estate of, you know, if our thing is, if our niche is going to be duplexes and that's what we do, that's great. Um, and, you know, just not try not to like, just be a generalist because generalists are a commodity and you want to be 
a very specific type of whatever you're trying to be was the message. So mine are not going to be real estate related, but the focus three podcast with Tim kite and urban Meyer, it's all about mindset and um, this whole concept of there are events in your life and there are outcomes in your life. The only piece of that equation you can control is your reaction. So just learning about that process of how to react to get the outcomes you want. Um, also, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, kind of the same thing. It's all about how the only moment you can live in is the present. So you you should live in the present moment and not worry about the past or the future. And I feel like that applies a lot to investing in real estate because you could you know, spin your wheels forever running the scenarios and the what if, but the only moment you can live in now. Yeah. And I think the reason that we were so thrilled to have you guys on is is uh, just to show share the real life, uh, you know, the things that really happen in life, like the real thoughts people have when trying to transition in mindsets. And I, I'm of the belief that lifestyle books and podcasts probably contribute a lot more to to, uh, you know, coming over to maybe a house hacking type strategy than a real estate books ever could, because there's there is a numbers side to things. And some people are very focused on, on numbers. But generally speaking, uh, people, people crave uh, the ability, whether it's a lifestyle goal or or the uh, mental capacity to have a little bit more of a carefree uh, lifestyle, a little bit less stressed all the time, you know, having that emotional piece too, that the books that you mentioned and the lifestyle community, they grasp. And I think those two tie in really well together because, you know, the numbers, you know, we, you could talk numbers all day long, but a lot of people uh, and, and specifically, you know, uh, women and, you know, like my wife and stuff, it's more of the, the lifestyle aspect that, that, you know, that draws, you know, for instance, my wife into something like this. And, you know, the numbers is something that, you know, I'm a little bit more, uh, you know, the reason why I'm more into it, but, but there is that aspect. And so we appreciate you guys sharing both sides. Hell yeah. I think that's why we balance each other out so nicely is we just have different perspectives that marry together really well. For sure. No pun intended. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that we're like insanely successful at this, but we've done it. We've made it work for us and that's all we really wanted to ask for. We ask every guest this question as well is sort of, uh, you know, we, we, we get a ton of people that set out that want to house hack, want to make that transition. We talked about it earlier. There are a lot of people that sort of stand on the ledge and they see the horizon, uh, to put it in your uh, phrase, they, they see the, the benefits, whether it's, uh, financially on a number side, whether it's uh, peace of mind and, and lifestyle. And, you know, we get a lot of people that want to travel. And so this contributes well to no matter what kind of lifestyle you want. Um, there are a lot of benefits, obviously, to house hacking, keeping your housing expense low, things of that nature. But it seems that only a small percentage actually execute on that. So the question we ask is like, what is the X factor between those that that set out to house hack and those that actually do it? Ooh, that's a good question. I already said it earlier. It's being scared and deciding to do it anyway. I think a lot of people let that fear stop them from doing a lot of things they want to do in their lives, whether it's, you know, house hacking or reaching some insane goal, you, you have to be scared and you have to do it anyway. And even when your closest friends and family are telling you that it's not possible, you have to do it anyway. And it's scary. And it is 
a painful place to be in that you have to work through and you got to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I get, I viewed it as, or I view it as in my process is like putting down a list of all your, like your nose or like what you don't want to happen or what could go wrong or your what ifs and all those objections to doing it. And you can do that list. And if you, you can find a solution to all those objectives. Like we had a ton of objectives. We had a ton of things we wanted and we made it happen honestly pretty quickly. Um, but if you haven't committed, I think to doing it or to like what your why for wanting to do it is, if you haven't made that commitment to yourself, you're always going to find a reason to not do it. If you're like, like you said, I think if you don't get comfortable in the unknown a little bit or being like right on that rev limiter of like, this is a little sketchy. I don't know about this, but being okay in that zone, I, I think is kind of where you need to get for a mindset for sure. We, we genuinely appreciate you guys coming on. I think your perspective is amazing and very timely. There are a lot of people, you know, this, this pandemic, the, the, uh, obviously it's, it's horrific and it's affected a lot of people's life, but maybe the silver lining to it is that a lot of people have stepped back and sort of evaluated their life. Um, you know, what they want out of it. Uh, maybe, you know, what, what they could, they could, uh, maybe do better for lack of a better word or, or what they want more. Um, and, and it's, it's, it, we found a lot of people becoming attractive to the idea of, of not having a giant mortgage, uh, that they have to shoulder alone. And, um, and, you know, there are a lot of benefits to the community of, of, you know, there, there are a lot of duplexes out there and a lot of them are run down, but when you buy them, generally speaking, you help improve the community, you get a higher level of living for tenants. There are a lot of benefits to it uh, overall. And, and so, you know, there are a lot of couples, which is why we really appreciate you coming on that, that, that are, we're in your uh, position a couple of years ago. Um, so we appreciate that. So our question, where, where can people find more about you? Maybe to reach out and just kind of, uh, you know, whatever that looks like, ask questions, uh, ask for encouragement, where, where can people reach, uh, reach you guys? Yeah. So probably the easiest, um, for me would be LinkedIn. I would think if you look up Michael Gallagher on LinkedIn, I'm on there. Um, or Instagram um, is uh, I guess should I shoot you my handle or say it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can uh, we can put that in the show notes if you guys don't mind. And yeah, and yeah. Uh, anyone anyone in the community looking uh, for for perspective or, or help or questions uh, and and even people in in Ohio, um, whether they're in Columbus or surrounding areas that would just uh, you know like a little bit of perspective. Yeah, definitely. Please do. Yeah, I, uh, I'll talk shop all day. So if anybody wants to reach out and chat, don't hesitate. Awesome. 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 Yeah, well, we, we genuinely appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, we hope you guys have a great day. Great. Thank you. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot. Love your story.